into our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be with you on this first Sunday of the new year. Did you all make your resolutions? I did. This year, I finally made a New Year's resolution I think I can keep. No dieting all year long. (laughs) It's going to be a challenge, but I think I might be able to pull that one off. We'll see. Hey, uh, I'm Steve Ellis, one of the uh, elders here at Neighborhood Church. You can tell that just by looking at me, right? I get more and more elder every day. We have some younger guys on the elder board, fortunately, but that term elder really has dual meaning when applied to me as we mark the start of yet another calendar year, 2022. The Lord loves you this morning. He does. I hope you know that he declared it in one of the very first books of his word, Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. A relatively unknown Christian woman named Edith McNeil, who was a member of the Church of the Redeemer down in Houston, Texas, put those verses to music back around, I don't know, the 1960s or so. We used to sing them in our youth group back when I was not so elder as I am today. It went something like this. If you happen to know it, sing it with me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. May I just remind you of that this morning, this second day of the new year. So much life ahead of us. But how do we get the most we can out of this coming year, this new season? We all want that, right? Some of you may remember The recruiting slogan for the United States Army back in the 80s and 90s for over 20 years was, be all that you can be. Remember that? I mean, who doesn't want that, right? I mean, we all do. We all want to be the best that we can be. We talk a lot about thriving here at Neighborhood Church. It's it's part of our mission statement, that we live and love like Jesus as we compassionately relate to our community so that we all may thrive as followers of Christ, but, but how do you do that practically? That's the question. Nothing against the United States Army. It is the best military force on the planet, but I maintain that the only way to be all that you can be is to enter into relationship with and walk through life following the one who created you to be the one who knits you together and who knows you and loves you intimately, the one of whom it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. We all want to be the best we can be, but we can't get there on our own. If the last two years have taught us anything, it is that we need to stick together. We need to stay connected as we walk through this journey of life. There is so much trying to divide us in the culture right now to isolate us from one another. We can't do it alone. We need each other. And that's why Jesus calls us to live and walk with him in community. So we're beginning a new series for this new year entitled Following Jesus Together where we're going to be diving into passages from the Gospel of Mark. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the first chapter, the first 20 verses of the Gospel of Mark. So while you're turning there, let me just give you a little background on the author of this particular Bible book. Mark, also known as John Mark, was a companion of both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. You may recall in Acts chapter 12 where Peter gets busted out of prison in the middle of the night by an angel and he finds himself on the streets of Jerusalem. It says in verse 12 that he made his way to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark. So Peter and Mark knew each other. Mark heard Peter preach, heard his testimony, heard his eyewitness accounts about the Lord. Mark was with Peter in Rome at the end of his life where Peter spent a year or two preaching daily in the streets right before he was martyred in about 64 AD. And we know this because in the the concluding remarks of Peter's first epistle in chapter 5, he writes, Stand firm in the grace of God. She who is in Babylon, that's code for the church in Rome. There was a lot of persecution going on. So they referred to the church in Rome as she who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greeting. And so does Mark, my son. Mark also accompanied the apostle Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. We learned that in Acts chapter 12. But he failed to stick it out. He quits about halfway through and and goes back home. So in Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go on their second missionary journey, and John Mark wants to take, or, or Barnabas wants to take John Mark along with him again, Paul says, no way. And it says in Acts 15, they kept arguing, I want to take John Mark. We're not taking that guy. I want to take John Mark. We're not taking that guy. He quit on us. And it says in Acts chapter 15, there was such a sharp disagreement that Paul and Barnabas split up. So Paul takes Silas on his second missionary journey and Barnabas and John Mark go off together. But about a dozen years later, Mark is reunited with Paul because in both the books of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 10, and the book of Philemon in verse 24, Paul mentions Mark as being one of the disciples present with him. And shortly before his death, While he's in prison in Rome, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11 and says, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Paul says of this former deserter, he is useful to me. I need him. That itself is is a great testimony of the power of reconciliation to the love 
of Christ and evidence of what Pastor Mike is fond of saying, that our mistakes do not define us, but they can refine us. Mark learned and grew from that earlier maturity. So let's take a look at what he has to say about the one whom we follow, the one who is worthy. But before we get into the text, let's ask the Lord to illuminate our hearts. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, we, we bow our hearts. We want to hear from you this morning. We're just men. You alone have the words of truth. Illuminate our hearts and our minds. Speak to us through your word and through each other this morning. We pray, we ask you do that for your glory and our blessing. In your name, amen. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right here in verse 1, we have the introduction of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That pretty much sums it up right there, the Son of God. God who is holy and just, who created mankind with free moral agency, created man with the the freedom to choose, and man chose not to go the way God commanded, but to go his own way, a, a rebellious, renegade, rogue race of men. Read the news. It'll tell you all you need to know about that. And yet God loves us, and in his love for us, he announced it long before he did it. In his love for us, he sent his only son. That is literally translated, he sent the son, the one and only Jesus Christ. That is not first and last name. It is his name, Jesus, and his title, the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, the promised one. From the beginning, all the way back to Eden in Genesis chapter 3, for immediately upon the first humans becoming sinful, God came on the scene, dealt with their sin, and implemented sacrifice. That is, an innocent victim dying for the guilty and promised an ultimate sacrifice that would crush the head of the serpent that led humanity into its sin. And that first promise was followed by many promises down through the century as God spoke through holy men, reminding his creation, he's coming, the savior, the chosen one, the king. And now here he is, Jesus Christ, the son of God. All the great Empires of men have come and gone, and now the kingdom of God is at hand. And in verses 2 through 8 of Mark chapter 1, Mark moves immediately to the announcement of this new king as foretold by Isaiah through the herald John the Baptist. He doesn't deal with the genealogies of Jesus or his connections to the line of David like Matthew does because he's not writing to the Jews. He's writing to the Gentile Roman world primarily, and in their world, when a new king came on the scene, they would expect that there would be some kind of authoritative, credible herald who would announce the arrival, because that's exactly the way it was in their world. No king, no new king ever arrived and said, hey, I'm the king. Listen to me. Here I am. No, a a new king always had a forerunner, an entourage, a herald, you know, long live the king. Someone who bore authenticity and authority to make that declaration, to establish the credibility of the new ruler, and that was John the Baptist, verse 4. 
John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Yum. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Notice how John says something interesting in verse 7. He says, The one coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. That is not so much a statement about how lowly John the baptizer was, but rather how, how mighty, how exalted, how incredibly great the Lord Jesus Christ is. Because Jesus himself said of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 7, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. John the Baptist was imprisoned by Herod, at this time about to be beheaded for speaking truth to power, for calling out Herod for his incestuous immorality. And speaking to the multitudes, Jesus asks, beginning in verse 24, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Someone like many of the, the politicians and preachers of today who check to see which way the wind is blowing to know what the people want to hear? I suspect a, a chuckle went through the crowd at that statement. No, no, that wasn't John. John spoke the truth that you needed to repent, get right with God because the day of judgment was coming. He wasn't afraid to be controversial. And Jesus continues in verse 25. What did, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in, in soft clothing? Somebody in a tailored suit? Once again, there was no doubt a, a ripple of laughter. No, that wasn't John. He, he wasn't styled in Brooks Brothers suits or Ralph Lauren polos. He wore camel's hair, burlap, basically, and ate locusts and wild honey. And that was really a statement, a, a visual picture to the people, a lesson that the material comforts of this world, the things we spend so much time pursuing and trying to acquire, mean nothing in the end. It's all vanity. There's really only one worth pursuing, this mighty one, the true king. Jesus says in verse 26, what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. Verse 28, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Many prophets had come before John talking about this king who was coming. But none of them had the privilege that John had. The messenger before your face, it says in verse 27. A quote from Malachi chapter 3. No other prophet was privileged like John to be able to say, make straight the way of the Lord. The king is coming. And then point and say, and there he is. 
Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Yet this one of whom the Lord said was greater than all those born of women says of himself, he is not worthy to untie the thongs of the sandals of this new king. A statement of how awesome this one is, how awesome the Lord Jesus, how far above, how worthy of our praise and dedication. And then in verse 10 and 11, this mighty one whose sandals John is not worthy to untie comes up out of the waters of baptism and gets the seal of approval of God himself. Verse 10, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Over the centuries, God had foretold his coming through many messengers, many prophets. No messenger that day. The heavens opened. The word here literally means ripped apart, a seam opened in the space-time continuum we know as this physical universe and the eternal one, the ancient of days, spoke into his creation and said, this is him. This is the one. No messenger that day. It was audible and visible. John the Baptist saw it. We know that from chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. You know, Jesus himself refers back to this moment in Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 11, I'm sorry, when he is, when he is confronted by the scribes and religious rulers in Jerusalem and they challenge him, by, by whose authority are you doing all these things? Jesus is performing miracles and he's, he's healing, casting out demons, telling people their sins are forgiven. And the rulers of the day were accusing him of getting his power from the demonic realms. And they asked him, by whose authority are you doing this? And Jesus said to them, let me ask you a question. You answer me, and I'll tell you by whose authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it of God? Or of men. And they huddled together and they couldn't answer him. They said, We don't know. And he said, Well, then neither will I tell you by whose authority I do these things. If you don't recognize my coronation, if you won't acknowledge the witness of John as foretold in Isaiah and Malachi and elsewhere, there's really nothing more for me to say. There is no point in me telling you where my authority comes from because he already has. And you won't listen. You won't listen. But the good news is, John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That, hopefully, is true of all of us. 
being the best that we can be. If you're not sure, you can make that true today. You can. By acknowledging the Mighty One and what He has done and following after Him. Then in verses 12 and 13 of Mark chapter 1, we have Mark's account of the wilderness temptation. You want the specifics on that, go to chapter 4 of Matthew's gospel or chapter 4 of Luke's gospel. There are detailed accounts of what that was all about. But what we're going to see throughout the study of Mark is he, he doesn't get bogged down in a lot of detail. His account is very bottom line. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. He was tempted by Satan. He got tested. He overcame, demonstrating his power over the enemy and over sin. And then in verses 14 through 20, we see Jesus begins his public ministry, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and calling his disciples. The first things Jesus does is start putting together a team. Here in verses 16 and 19, two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew, Simon is Peter, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, all professional fishermen. We'll see the calling of Matthew, the tax collector, in the next chapter. I love the depiction of these events, fictional as though some of it may be, in the video series, The Chosen. I, I hope you've seen it. If you haven't yet watched season one of The Chosen by VidAngel, I'd really encourage you to do so. It just brings to life some of the things we read here in these Gospels. We, we should have copies of the DVD in the library if they're not already checked out. And Jesus here begins the process of discipleship, calling the men that over the next three years will live with him, learn from him, and ultimately carry on his message to the world after he is gone. And he calls us to do the same, to follow him together. Like the disciples did. We are to bear one another's burdens, it says in Galatians 6.2. But how can we do that unless we know what those burdens are? Unless we are sharing our lives with honesty, and transparency. We are to encourage one another to build each other up, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, but, but how can we do that unless we are engaged with each other, observing and listening and staying connected? We are to learn from each other. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Here the Apostle Paul lays out the key actions and principles of discipleship. Imitating your teachers, your leaders, your fellow followers as they imitate the Lord. Because our ultimate and highest purpose, people, is to ourselves be transformed day by day by day, as it says in Romans 8, 
into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, whom we know from Colossians 1.15 is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Romans 8.28 is a, a very familiar verse to most all of us here. Say it with me. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How do we know that? Certainly it doesn't say all things are good, but how do we know that all things work together for our good? How can we be sure? The answer is in the next verse. Verse 29. For, because... Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He planned it out to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's how we know. Because he is shaping us, molding us like a potter works the clay into the image of the one about whom he declared from heaven he is well pleased, his beloved son. That's how we know all things work together for our good. You want to be the best that you can be? That's it right there. There's nothing better. But how can we be imitators without spending time with and being in the presence of those whom we should imitate. We can't. Because the truth is, and and those of you who are parents know this to be true, a whole lot more is caught than taught. I mean, nothing against institutions of learning, nothing against sermons, but that is largely theoretical. There is no substitute for seeing it applied, seeing the truth modeled in real life. A lot more is caught than taught. It's why we have life groups, so we can learn from each other. It's the, it's the whole point of ministry. It's why we have interns. The enemy is going to tell you, you don't need community. You, you don't need to be in church every week. Zoom works just fine. You don't need a life group. You're good. You don't need anybody telling you what to do. Satan loves to isolate us. You know yourself better than anyone. He'll whisper to you. What does the word of God say? Jeremiah 17, 9. Scripture says we might actually be more confused than we think. The word of God says our hearts are deceitful above all else. that We are prone to rationalize just about anything. So trusting yourself alone is probably not the best route to go. Wise counsel from friends, a pastor, a spouse, could be just the thing God uses for our protection and growth. Proverbs 1.5 says, A wise man will hear and learn and will acquire wise counsel. So it's an unwise man who does not hear from others, who will not listen, who will lack understanding and will not acquire wise counsel. We need to resist the temptation to be wise in our own eyes, Proverbs 3, 7. And the first step down that road is humility. Acknowledging 
we need to learn from others. You know, it, it, it's interesting to me that I drew this particular series to introduce. Following Jesus together. I wasn't supposed to preach today. Nick Stonaha, one of our younger elders, was on the schedule for this week, but Nick got COVID about 10 days ago. He's, he's much better now. I checked with him a couple of days ago, thankfully. But basically, I'm pinch hitting today. And I am often amused by how the Lord works because this is a subject in which I am, there's really no other way to say it, woefully deficient. I am still a work in progress when it comes to engaging in community and the elements of discipleship. You may not know this about me, but I am a world-class introvert. I am. I tend to be a loner. My family knows it. My kids know if left to my own devices, I would tend to withdraw from everything. My life group knows it. When we first started to meet together and couples didn't know me all that well and we'd be sitting around the room sharing our prayer requests, looking to the word of God, I'd, I'd get to the point where I just, I just needed a break and I'd get up and walk out of the room, go get a cookie or a glass of water or something, paste in the kitchen. And, and the other couples would look at each other and they'd look at my wife and they'd go, what's, what's wrong with Steve? My wife would go, oh, he's fine. That's just him. He's done. I am the exact opposite of this guy right here. Most of you probably know by now, and if you don't, you will certainly learn that your, your lead pastor, Mike McKay, is a flaming extrovert. Jet-propelled. You put this guy in a, in a group of people for a couple of hours and he's just like, who, 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 where's the next party? Who can I talk to next? Where are we going? Come on. I am so not like that. I have a limited capacity for social interaction. I want to blame my dad for it because my parents divorced when I was five years old and he split the scene. And so I had to learn to fend for myself at an early age. That's what we do, isn't it? We're always looking to find someone or something else to blame for our defects. I mean, it couldn't possibly be me, right? I should have recognized this early on, though. In elementary school, my third grade teacher, Mrs. Punchin, gave me an N on my report card for works well with others. N, needs to improve. The only N I ever got in 12 years of elementary and secondary education not that I'm bothered by that or anything. But I should have known early on that this was something in which I was going to need help. Thank goodness for my wife. She's really good at working with others. She loves to talk. And I love to let her. While I was getting a needs to improve at working with others, you know what my wife was getting? her senior year in high school, the award for Miss Friendly. I have the proof right here. Here it is. Lakewood High School, class of 75, most friendly, Carol Worthington. How did I end up with her? I've still got so much work to do. 
Let me just leave you with this, which I think is maybe the most important point in this whole passage. It's verse 17. Jesus said to these fishermen he was calling, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And indeed, that was their destiny. It was God's plan that these men would be the ones that would take the message of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, even to Cyprus, California. And they followed. And Jesus makes the same invitation to us today. Follow me and I will make you everything you were ever intended to be. Henry David Thoreau said, the great mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. Oh, it might have been. I think that's because in my humble observation, the song that great mass of men take to the grave is their own song, their own plans, their own wants and dreams, while Jesus is saying, follow me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to my grave with my song in my heart. I want to enter into his presence singing his song. And may that be the true resolution of our hearts this new year, 2022. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to see things the way you see them. I want to align my heart to the way that you see things, to resist the temptation to be wise in my own eyes, to follow you, to abandon all others, and learn to follow you together with these beautiful people here. Help me do that, Lord. We pursue your righteousness by becoming more like you, the image of the Holy One, the one in whom he is well pleased. Do that for us, Lord, we pray in your name, for your glory. Amen.